We're going to use that for a little demonstration later, so don't get all upset there. I'm not talking about transgender issues today. We're going to talk about the gospel. Uh, I am from the University of South Carolina. We are pitiful. Uh, our colors are black and blue. We're so bad. Uh, I think they're going to put our games on PBS next year. They're educational, but we never win. Uh, I think we win the toss and elect to go home most times. But anyway, that's, uh, uh, that's football. I am a psychologist by training. I, uh, I don't practice anymore. I got tired of being a psychologist. I'll just be honest with you. I got tired of listening. I got tired of saying, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. I can understand how you feel that way, uh-huh, uh-huh. I mean, I, I've heard every story that's ever existed. I mean, if you want to tell me your story after this is over, I'll listen, but I've heard it. I've heard every story that's ever existed. Matter of fact, one of my great fears is, you pray for me, here's one of my great fears. Just before I die, somebody else's life's going to pass before me instead of my own because I spent all my time listening to their stories. Uh, uh, so I just reached a point where I got tired of listening. I just got tired of listening. So I thought, why am I listening to these people anyway? I mean, I, I got a doctor's degree in psychology. I know stuff. They're seeing a psychologist. They know nothing. And I, why, why am I listening to them? Why don't they listen to me? Sounds like a good idea, doesn't it? It, it wasn't a good idea. It, it didn't go well at all. You know, it, it'd go something like this. The guy would say, the reason I'm a loser because my dad was an alcoholic. I'd say, well, there's another way of looking at it. Maybe your dad's an alcoholic because you're a loser. I mean, there's another way of looking at it, right? Well, people will not pay for that kind of advice, you understand. <laughs> they won't pay for that kind of advice. So I decided to move on. Today, we're going to talk to you about relationships because relationships matter. I've worked with billionaires. I've worked with millionaires. I've worked with Dallas Cowboys. You know, they need a psychologist. I've worked with Dallas Cowboys. I've worked with presidents of companies. I've worked with people who own houses all over the world. And let me tell you, it doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how many houses you have. It doesn't matter how famous you are. If you're not happy in your relationships, you're not happy. I promise you. Relationships matter. Here, here's what the Bible says. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, for the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. It's not good to be alone. You read any psychological profile of anybody that does anything strange, weird, perverted, you'll see a phrase in that profile, this person was a loner. It's not good to be alone. You end up being strange, weird, maybe even perverted. Matter of fact, it's especially not good for men to be alone. You look at the research, look at it, all the psychological research. Single men go in the prison and the state hospital a lot more than married guys. How many married guys we got here? How many married guys? Let me, let me encourage you married guys. I don't know how your marriage is going, but let's look at it in a positive way keeping you out of prison, <laughs> keeping you out of the state hospital. You ought to thank your wife right now. Thank you, honey, for keeping me out of prison and the state hospital. It's not good to be alone. So God created family. God created marriage. 
God created the church. The church is the family of God. You see, God knew that we live in a fallen world. There'd be death and divorce and dysfunction. He knew that some people would choose to remain single, but nobody can be all God wants them to be by themselves. So the church is a safety net, so no one will be alone. So everybody will have people to encourage them and hold them accountable to be the people that God created them to be. Well, how does it work? Well, it works because we are made in the image of God. Think about it. That's pretty encouraging, isn't it? You are in the image of God. The creator of the world, you're made in his image. Now, that image has been defaced because of the fall of man, but it's not been erased. You have some of the characteristics God has. Well, what is God like? Well, think about it. God has three personalities. He's Father, He's Son, He's Holy Spirit. Now, if you grew up in church, you probably heard that referred to as the Trinity. Now, the Trinity is one of those heavenly concepts hard to understand down here on earth. If somebody tells you they totally understand the Trinity, they will lie about other stuff too, I promise you. <laughs> they don't totally understand the Trinity. <laughs> but although I don't totally understand it, I accept it, and I believe that's what the Bible teaches, that God has three personalities. For some reason, God the Father needed God the Son in order to do the work of salvation. And God the Son needed God the Holy Spirit in order to make his love permanent in our lives. And then it says we're made in the image of God. So what does that mean practically? Here's what it means. You need to be around other personalities to complete you because you can't create your own personalities. Now, the way God did. Now, the moment I said that, you realized I, I said that wrong. You actually can create your own personalities, but you're not God. So you do not create your personalities in a divine way. You create your personalities in a dysfunctional way. Matter of fact, we actually have a diagnosis for that. If you do that, we call it multiple personality disorder. And we will put you in a state hospital if you do it like that. So that's not the way to do it. The way to do it is to be around other people to complete you so you can be the person that God had in mind when he created you. Now, how does it all work? Well, life works in stages and your needs will change depending on what age and stage of life you're in. For example, my wife and I are in the empty nest stage of life. People say, when does life really begin? I can tell you. It's when the kids leave home and the dog dies. That's pretty much when life really begins. Uh, uh, you can pretty much do whatever you want to when the kids leave home and the dog dies. Uh, now, so your needs will change depending on what age and stage of life you're in. For example, I got a, a guy that's in my church. He was, he was like 90 and he was getting married again. His ladies were like, he was dating this lady. She's like 74. And of course, you know, his buddies are giving him a hard time. You know, are you going to marry her? Yes, I'm going to marry her. Well, does she cook? Well, not really. Well, does she have a nice house? Not really. Well, does she have a lot of money? No. Well, why are you marrying her? He says, I'm marrying her because she can drive at night. That's why I married her. Uh, so your, your needs are going to change a little bit depending on how old you are. You understand? Uh, matter of fact... <laughs> I asked that guy, I said, how did it go? He said, I actually had to ask her two questions. I said, two questions. He said, yeah, I got on my knees and I said, will you marry me? And then I said, 
could you help me back up? You know, so it's just gonna, it's just gonna change a little bit. But life works in stages. And the first stage of any relationship is that wonderful stage. Matter of fact, this stage pretty much applies to all of life. Remember the first job you really wanted and you sent out your resume and maybe got people recommend you and you thought, man, I have found the perfect job because they tell you, you're going to get a budget for this and we're going to, you're going to get paid for this and you're going to get to do this and you have found the perfect job and you have until you go to work, right? And then, wait a minute, I didn't know about this and they didn't tell me about this. Well, that's the way life is. You find the perfect friend, and they are till you get to know them. Everybody's normal till you get to know them. And then, I didn't know they did this, and I didn't know they did that. Well, that's especially true in relationships. And one of the reasons it's really true in relationships is the hormonal factor, the urge to merge factor. When one gland's calling to another gland, let's get together. You know that stage of life. And by the way, that's a beautiful stage of life to be in, but it's a pitiful stage to watch, isn't it? You know, uh, I used to do premarital counseling and I just quit doing it because I got sick of looking at that stage. You know, I just wanted to say, take your hands off each other and listen to me. You know, I'd try to shock them into reality like, have a job. No. Finished school? No. Got any money? No. How you gonna live? Love. <laughs> and then they jump on each other again. You know that stage of life. I wanna say I give you five years for this body chemistry to turn to toxic waste, you know. Uh, but I'm a nice guy, so I say, why don't you register paper plates? Cause this isn't gonna last, you know. Uh, but we've all been there, hadn't we? I mean, I, I, I was there. I mean, I had that urge to merge. So whatever my wife said, I just said, yes. You know, she said, you love shopping? Yes, I love shopping. You love the mall? Oh, I love the mall. Man, a Saturday at the mall watching you shop? That'd be the perfect day. <laughs> I was lying, God knew I was lying. He said, there's my boy, Charles. He's lying. He just wants to merge. I better teach him a lesson. Birth angel, come here. Send him three daughters. He's going to spend his life in the mall for lying. <laughs> well, that's how I got three girls. I, uh, most of my life, I've lived in a girl's dorm. It's, uh, some days were tough. Some, day, some days, I'd actually go out and talk to the mailbox. It's the only mail thing in my house. I'd say... <laughs> I'd say, mailbox, it's tough in there today, mailbox. Uh, three teenage girls at one time, we had so much hairspray, things would actually stick in midair. I could take a Diet Coke, stick it in midair. Well, we've all been there, that wonderful stage. But what happens after that wonderful stage? Then we have war. <laughs> you see, opposites attract from a distance, but opposites attack up close. The very thing that attracted you from a distance irritates you up close. One thing that I was attracted about my wife, not only was she beautiful, but she was organized. And I thought, man, I need that. I'm, I'm not very organized. I, not only is she beautiful, she's organized. I didn't know how organized she was <laughs> till we got married. I knew I was in trouble when she wanted to clean up the rice at the wedding before we went on the honeymoon. I think 
this lady's clean. I mean, you know, closets were color-coded, shoes faced north, you know, that kind of organized, you know. Uh, I would put down my Diet Coke and turn around, and it would be in the dishwasher, and I wouldn't even be through with it yet, you know. I said, what happened to that Diet Coke? I wasn't through, you know. I'd put the newspaper down and take a little break, and it'd be gone. It'd be in the trash. And I hadn't even got to the sports section yet. I asked her one time, what do you think God's trying to teach me? You've taken all my stuff before I'm through. He said, he's trying to teach you. Enjoy things while you have them. You never know when you're going to lose them. <laughs> one night I got up to go to the bathroom, came back, the bed was made, and I said, honey, that's a little much, a little much. You know? uh, uh. But we've all been there, haven't we? I mean, sometimes it happens quickly. Sometimes it happens on the honeymoon. One guy got up on his honeymoon that morning and looked at his sweet wife and says, where's my hot breakfast? Mother always made me a hot breakfast. She said, you want a hot breakfast? Set those Fruit Loops on fire. That'll be hot, you know. <laughs> hey, put those cornflakes in the microwave. That'll warm you up, buddy. We've all been there, haven't we? We go from wonderful to war. But then we start to wonder. We wonder, did we take the wrong job? We wonder, did we get the wrong friend? We even wonder, did we marry the wrong person? I'll have these guys come into my office and they're all nervous, you know, seeing a psychologist, they're looking around. I, I see some strange people. When they, I get nervous too. When they look around, I look around. I don't know what they're looking for, you know. Uh, one guy was so paranoid, he thought the people in front of him were following him. That's paranoia, you understand? So when they look around, I look around. What are they looking for? Finally, he'll lean forward and I'll lean forward and I'll say, what, what's your problem? He said, Doc, it's, it's, it's bad. I said, what is it? He said, it's bad. I said, tell me. He'll say something like this. He said, Doc, I think I've married the wrong person. I said, that's it? That's your problem? He said, that's it. I said, hey, I got good news for you. Everybody else did too. What else you want to talk about? <laughs> he said, what do you mean? I said, in a sense, everybody married the wrong person. Why? Because you married a fantasy. You married this beautiful person. They always look good. They always smell good. They never go to the bathroom. You got a perfect person here. You get married, you got a real person. They don't always look good, don't always smell good. They go to the bathroom, just like real people. But the problem is we start comparing our fantasy with a reality, you see. We start thinking that fantasy is what we need in order to be happy. Hey, it, we all have this Adam suit. We go back to Uncle Adam, and what we don't have is what we think we have in order to be happy. As a rule, man's a fool. When he's hot, he wants it cool. When he's cool, he wants it hot. Always wanting what's not. As a rule, man's a fool. I mean, you know that, don't you? And so we, these guys will say something like this. They'll say, oh, Dr. Lowry, I think I'm falling in love with my secretary. She dresses good. She listens to me. She's always in a good mood. I say, I got an answer for that. Pay your wife, let her off at four o'clock. <laughs> She'll be in a great mood, I promise you. You start comparing things that can't be compared. You know, I'll have these ladies and They'd say, oh, Dr. Lowry, my husband would just listen the way you would listen. If he'd be compassionate the way you're compassionate. If he'd look into my eyes when I talk the way you look into my eyes. I'd say, pay him $150 an hour like you're paying me. He'll look in your eyes when you talk. You got two choices in life, my friend. Only two. You can tear up that fantasy that does not exist. And you can accept your mate your kids, your church, your pastor, as a gift of God, or else you'll spend the rest of your life tearing up those people, 
trying to make them look like a fantasy that does not exist, and you'll end up being a very miserable person. The fact of the matter is, relationships just take work. They take work. The grass is greener because somebody's fertilized it, watered it, taken care of it. If the grass is green and nobody appears to be taking care of it, there's a septic tank somewhere. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Life doesn't work like that. But here's the key. And you cannot do anything else unless you get the foundation. And here's the foundation of all I'll teach and all I teach all around America. You cannot do the work of relationships unless you understand the worship of relationships. Relationships are not secular, they are spiritual. Matter of fact, Jesus was the true worshiper. He had to be. He gave more glory to God than anybody. What did Jesus do? He, out there, he loved and blessed people the way God wanted him to. You see, Jesus really didn't go to church all that much. I mean, when he did, it didn't really go that well. Uh, uh, we don't really have a record of him singing a song, although he may have. There was a group one time that sang a song. I believe worship happens out there instead of in here. You see, I believe this gets us ready to worship. Yes, do we sing? Why? Because that gets you focused on God. Yes, do we hear the word? Because that teaches you what to do. But worship is not about raising your hands. That's easy. It's about reaching out your hands. See, it's about loving people that aren't very lovable. That's what true worship is. Matter of fact, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, talking to men, it said to, to, these, to, to men, to husbands, if you don't dwell with your wife in an understanding way and make her a joint heir, you know what the Bible says? Your prayers will be hindered. God's the one that made it spiritual. Your prayers will be hindered. In other words, hey, don't ask me to answer your prayers and you don't love people the way I want you to love people. And here's why it's crucial in relationships. Because people need love the most when they least deserve it. Let me tell you about my wife. When she's in a good mood and things are going well and my schedule's full and there's money in the bank and the grandkids are doing good and people are buying my books, which I'd appreciate if you would, uh, it's pretty easy to love my wife. But she doesn't need my love then. You know when she needs my love? She's in a stinking mood. No money in the bank, schedules empty, grandkids are messing up, nobody's buying any books, and I say something nice to her, and she says something grumpy back to me. That's when she really needs my love. And that's when I really don't wanna give it to her. I wanna say, stick it in your ear, lady, I deserve better than this. But I can love her as an act of worship. I can love her when she's a jerkette. Why? Because God loved me when I was a jerk. That's why. She can love me when I'm a jerk. Why? Because God loved her when she was a jerkette. That's why we've been married. We've been married so long, I can't remember when we weren't married. We'll be married the rest of our lives. We'll grow old and break our hips together. Why? Because we see marriage as an act of worship. 
we see the way we treat people as an act of worship. Matter of fact, people all around the country, they always ask me, well, what's my purpose in life? It's pretty easy. It's to worship God by blessing people. Matter of fact, in that chapter about relationships in verse 9, it made it very specific. It says it this way. Even when people do evil against you, you don't do evil back. Even when they revile against you, you don't revile back. Here's what you do. Then it says contrary. Why does it put that in there? Because it's not the way you want to act. When people do evil against you, you want to do evil back. But contrary to how you feel, because you're a Christian and because you do it as an act of worship, what do you do? You bless those people. And then it says this, for this you were called. You're here to bless people. It started with Abraham. God took a man out of of the desert and said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. And through you, I'm going to bless the entire world. And because of Jesus Christ, we're in that same covenant with Abraham. God is going to use this church, you, my family, your family, to bless the entire world. And then it says, because you were chosen to obtain a blessing. And then it says, God will bless you. You see, we bless people, but deep down in our Adam suit, we know we're blessing them so they can bless us back. Let's just say I bless Danny. Uh, bless Danny. I just got a blessing Danny. I'm blessing, blessing Danny. You see me blessing Danny? Bless, bless, bless. I am blessing Danny, man. I'm blessing him. Bless, bless, bless. Bless Danny. Bless, bless, man. I'm blessing Danny. Bless, bless Danny. See me blessing Danny? Bless, bless, bless. Blessing Danny. I'm getting a little tired, but I'm still blessing, 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 blessing. Bless, bless, bless. But after a while, I start thinking, now when is Danny going to bless me back? And then I start saying things like this inside my head, and the most important conversation is the one you have with yourself, by the way. After all I've done for Danny... And don't look at me. I'm a shrink. I know how you think. So don't look at me like you don't think this way. And resentment starts to build up. And you'll become a very dysfunctional person. You're not blessing people so they can bless you back. They may never bless you back. They they may be incapable of blessing you back. You you can't see the emotional, but you can see the physical. Have you ever been really hurting? I had an abscess tooth one time, and man, it just just hurt so bad. If I would even try to take a step, it like it would throb. I was in so much pain. Now, when I was in that much pain, was I thinking about other people? Was I thinking about, can I get some medicine from my neighbor? No. When I'm in that much pain, it's all about me. How can I get relief? Some people in your life will be in so much emotional pain, they can only think of themselves. And they'll never bless you back. Matter of fact, there's probably somebody in your family like that because every family tree has a sap. You know, there's probably somebody in your family like that. And you will, they will never bless you back. But when you go out there, you're not blessing people so they can bless you back. God says you're blessing people because I'm gonna bless you back. I'm gonna take care of you. And the only way to pull that off is to see it as an act of worship. Well, why is it so difficult, especially in male-female relationships? Why is it so difficult? Well, men and women are just different. Let me see if I can teach you the difference between a man and a woman. This is a woman, 
and this is a man. This is a heavy purse too, by the way. Uh, got a dead deacon in here maybe, I don't know. Uh, see, men are simple. Women are complex. You, you see, you, you come to my house, we have lots of towels. We got towels that match other towels. We got towels that match the floor. We got towels that match the wall. We got decorative towels. Uh, nobody uses those towels. We got guest towels. People we don't know, they use those towels. We, we, we got lots of towels. What if I live by myself? Two towels, one wet, one dry, alternate six months, throw them out, buy me two more towels. But it wasn't good for man to be alone. He needed more towels. <laughs> you see, men are simple. One head, one bed, one pillow. Nope. <laughs> Women are complex. I got 11 pillows on my bed. I take six off every night. I put six back on every morning. Why? I don't know why. Because it wasn't good for man to be alone. He needed more pillows. That's why. We walked in a brand new house in Arlington, Texas. And my wife looked at that wallpaper and said, that's got to go. I said, it's brand new wallpaper. She said, I know, but it's not me. I said, it's not me either. It's wallpaper. <laughs> but we got new wallpaper. Because it wasn't good for man to be alone. He needed more wallpaper. You see, women grow up differently. They grew up communicating, sharing, talking. Men grew up competing, fighting, king of the hill, capture the flag, put a helmet on, seriously injure the other guy. That's how we grew up. See, that competition. Women don't understand that competition sometimes. We went on our first vacation and my wife said, can we stop at the rest area? I said, not till I pass that Chevrolet. <laughs> she said, what Chevrolet? That Chevrolet passed me 30 miles back. I've been trying to catch ever since. That Chevrolet. See, that's how we grew up. See, girls talk. They learn to communicate. Four years of age, 100% of what little girls say is totally intelligible. Four years of age, 40% of what little boys say is totally unintelligible. It's just sounds, grunts, groans. You don't believe it? Go over and watch a four-year-old Sunday school class one day. It'll just be boom, 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 pow, 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 just a bunch of sounds. Men never outgrow their need to make their sounds. That's just part of it. We're just different. You see, women are complex. Let me just ask you, is this the only purse you have? No. See, my wife's got lots of purses. She got casual purses. She got big purses. She got fancy purses. She got little purses. How many wallets does a man have? One. Simple. In fact, women have to tell men when they need a new wallet. You're getting a new wallet for Christmas. No, I am not. I love this wallet. That wallet stinks you've had it so long. You're getting a new wallet. Matter of fact, they did some research with men. 
and women, they got them to listen to a novel. And while they were listening to the novel, they were able to scan their brain. When a woman was listening to a novel, both sides of the brain, you know, the brain has two hemispheres. They got that corpus callosum there in the middle. Both sides of the brain lit up with some connectivity with that corpus callosum. When a man was listening to a novel, only one side of the brain lit up. You see, women, when you've been talking to your man, deep down you thought something like this. This is like communicating with someone with half a brain. <laughs> Research would bear you out. So when you want to talk to your man, understand it makes him nervous. It, it's difficult for him. He, 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 he has a hard time. It, it's kind of like, let's have a root canal. You know, when you say, when you say let's talk, that, to him that's like, let's have an IRS audit. I mean, it's just, it, it's difficult. So you have to go slow with him. And men, what you have to understand with a woman, she talks as much for process as product. She talks as much for interaction as information. She talks as much for rapport as report. So you have to pick up on nonverbal communication. You have to be able to, to put things down, lean forward, look her in the eye, all right? And let me just help you here. I don't have time to go into the whole thing because we're not doing a conference, but this would be progress for some of you men. Because you see, you've got to pick up on nonverbal communication. You know, when, when, if you come home and your wife's in the kitchen in a position somewhat like this, and you say, what's wrong, honey? And she says, nothing. And you say, oh, good, I'm going to go play golf. Uh, then you will soon see Jesus, okay? Because <laughs> she's trying to tell you everything is wrong. And if you ask me and talk to me, you'll find out what it is. You see, that's nonverbal communication. So men, let me just give you one little step here. When your wife wants to talk, put everything down, lean forward, look her in the eye, and let her talk. And when she pauses, then just say this, tell me more. I mean, surely you can do that. You know, all you got to do, tell me more. Okay? That will start that communication process. Now, I have to tell you this, and I, I really hate to because it's discouraging, but it's the truth, and I'm committed to the truth. So, when a man leans forward, looks you in the eye, and says, tell me more, he doesn't want to know anymore. It's sad, but it's true. He's a guy. So when he does that, he's doing it because I told him to, and he loves Jesus, and he loves you. So when he does that, keep it short. He, he doesn't want the whole newspaper. He wants the headline. He doesn't want a book. He wants a pamphlet. The guy said, does it bother you that your wife has the last word? He said, no, I'm just excited when she gets to it. <laughs> Learn to communicate. How do you make love last? 
you learn to communicate, you appreciate what you have, you learn to serve the other person, you enter their world. Everybody's loved in a different way. How do you know that God loves you? Here's the only way, that he left his world and entered your world. That's the only way you know God loves you. The only way people know that you love them is you're willing to leave your world and enter their world. And people are loved in different ways. Male and female are loved in different ways. Different communities are loved in different ways. Some churches, they try to love a community and they're loving a community way they want to be loved. And you got to find out how does a community need to be loved, you see, because we're all loved in, in different ways. And we have a hard time understanding the world that's different from our world. So let me give you a little illustration. I've done this all over the country. I've done it for companies like AT&T and Honeywell. I'm going to teach you what it's like to be in a world different than the world you're in. And I'm going to teach you sometimes when you think you're loving somebody, you're actually not loving them at all. And you may be causing them pain. So let's take children because most of us can, well, how many of you have ever been a kid or know a kid? Just raise your hand. Just check it out. Okay. Okay. I think we can relate to kids. Uh, how many of you took Psych 101? Anybody take Psych 101? Probably heard a guy named Piaget. He had the stages that children go through. And there's a stage called concrete operational where a kid cannot think abstractly. So they cannot enter the adult world even if they want to. Because their brain hasn't matured, they can only think concrete thoughts. That's why kids do weird stuff, by the way. I saw a kid with a burnt lip. I said, kid, how'd you burn your lip? He said, I was licking my nightlight. I said, why would you do that? He said, I'd never licked one before. You see, that makes perfectly good sense to a kid. So I'm going to teach you what it's like to be in the world of a kid where you cannot think abstractly and enter the adult world, okay? So a little experiment, if you're physically able, I want you to take your arms and raise them as high as you can. And I want you to hold them up as long as you can because I want to cause as much pain as I can. Listen to a kid say, I pledge allegiance to the flag. You think he says that? No, they're all abstract words. He makes up words that go with those words. Like I lead the pigeons to the flag or something like that. You think he says one nation indivisible? He'll say a naked individual every time. <laughs> Listen to kids at church. Church is all abstract. They don't know what we're talking about at church. They think God's name is Howard. Howard be thy name. Maybe his name is Art, who art in heaven. They pray, give us this day our jelly bread. They say the books of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Olivia, Newton, John, <laughs> Genesis, Exodus, Lexus. I mean, it's confusing to them. One kid had a teacher named Mrs. Murphy, always giving him homework, making his life miserable. So he translated that Psalm, surely goodness, Mrs. Murphy will follow me all the days of my life. Uh, so one kid got it all confused, thought round John Virgin was the fattest of the 12 opossums. Uh, listen to kids at church sing. They don't even sing the songs we sing. I was standing by a kid, we were singing, soon and very soon, we are going to see the king. He was singing, soon and very soon, we are going to Burger King. <laughs> Brother, sister fight, fighting over the last piece of chocolate cake. Dad said, son, what would Jesus do? He said he'd make more chocolate cake, that's what he would do. Anybody feeling any pain? That's what I thought. Drop your arm. Doesn't that feel good? See, now you know what it's like for a three-year-old to go to the mall with their parents. One takes one arm, one takes the other arm, and you walk them around like this for hours. And you tell the kid, you're having fun, aren't you? We took you out of preschool. It's your birthday. Oh, I'm dying. 
Never forget what you just learned. Many times you think you're loving somebody, but you've never entered their world. And you're not loving them at all. Matter of fact, you may be causing them a lot of pain. I got to wrap this up. How do you make love last? You tell yourself every day what's really important in life. Tell yourself every day. You say, well, how do you know what's important in life? Well, you live life backwards. You go to the end of your life and look back on your life. One day you'll come to the end of your life. You're going to die. Death runs in my family. I think it runs in yours, right? Pretty much come in this world, no teeth, no hair, no bladder control. Uh, that's pretty much how you're going out, okay? You're going to die. Uh, it's a short trip from diapers to the pins. Don't get arrogant about life. Oh, when you come to the end of your life, what's going to happen? Well, they'll have your funeral. You know, they, let's just say they have it here, you know. Pastors say some nice words about you. That you'll, they'll put you in a box and you'll say some nice words and your family will go home and eat potato salad. That, that's pretty much what's going to happen, you know. Somebody said life's like Monopoly. You know, it doesn't matter if you got Boardwalk or Park Place. I mean, those are the good ones. But, you know, you may have one of those utilities that nobody wanted, you know. Uh, but it doesn't matter. Life's like Monopoly. Everything goes in the back of the box. Next generation fight over to play with it like a Monopoly game. So how do you know what's important? Well, there's a powerful business phrase. You've probably heard it. They say it this way. Learn to think outside the, learn to think outside the box. See, go to somebody's funeral. Take Yogi Bear's advice. Yogi said, if you don't go to their funeral, they probably won't come to yours. That's what Yogi said. Uh, go to somebody's funeral and watch what shows up. Same three things show up at everybody's funeral. Danny can tell you, he's been to lots of funerals. I've been to lots of funerals. Same three things show up at everybody's funeral. Faith, family, friends. Everything else goes back in the box. Only thing that matters in this thing we call life is faith, family, and friends. My wife's traveled with me a lot. She's heard me make that statement many times. They're gonna put you in a box and the family is gonna go home and eat potato salad. She's probably heard me say that a hundred times. Something that happened to us, I hope never happens to you, but one day it will. Two o'clock on a Sunday afternoon, somewhat like today. You never forget when your life changes. Two o'clock on a Sunday afternoon, I told my five-year-old grandson that his two-year-old brother was dead. People brought us things. You know what people do. One day my wife motioned to me to come. She just had tears in her eyes. She couldn't get any words out. She just wanted me to come. I came and she opened the refrigerator and she just kept pointing down just with tears, no words, just, just pointing down. And somebody had brought us two large bowls of potato salad. And finally she got these words out. It happens to everybody. It even happens to us. And then she said this, when you go around the country and tell that potato salad story, you tell those people, if they have someone to love, they need to love them now. If you have someone to forgive, you need to forgive them now. Hope you meet my wife one day. She has a lot of class. I, I, I have no class. I have no culture. She's tried to class me up. She, think, she likes things like the opera. I, I don't get the opera. I mean, my neighborhood, you shot a guy. He died. He didn't bleed and sing for 20 minutes. He, he just died. I don't, I don't get the opera. But uh, She wanted to go to the Louvre 
Paris, France, for one of our anniversaries, we went to the Louvre. Anybody been to the Louvre in Paris, France? It's like the largest museum in the world. It's like the state of Maine or something. If you're a guy like me and you have no class and you get the opportunity to go to the Louvre, I'd pass it up. Uh, <laughs> a lot of naked men statues. I didn't get it. I mean, I, like prior to 1850, did they not have clothes? You know, uh, but hey, I'm a good husband. I went to the Louvre. And I discovered something. In 1911, the Mona Lisa, the masterpiece, was stolen from the Louvre. Now, they knew they'd eventually get it back. You can't sell the Mona Lisa at a pawn shop. They knew they'd get it back. So they just left a blank space on the wall where the masterpiece used to be, okay? For two years, blank space on the wall where the masterpiece used to be. Here's what they found out. More people came during that two-year period to look at that blank space on the wall where the masterpiece used to be than the previous 12 years put together to look at the real masterpiece. And you say, that's weird. No, that's normal. That's me and that's you. We do not appreciate the masterpieces that God brings into our lives until they become blank spaces. If you have someone to love, you need to love them now. Because I have no class, I like country music. My wife says that's an oxymoron, country music. She says it doesn't go together. And some of it is pitiful, isn't it? Papa loved mama, mama loved men, mama's in the graveyard, papa's in the pen. No redeeming social value there whatsoever. Uh, or my wife ran off with my best friend and I miss him. Remember that one? That's not good. But years ago, there was one that went something like this. I hear tell of millionaires and billionaires and such who gathered all the treasure in the world and they still don't have enough. If money could buy peace of mind, I guess I'd have it all. But all the money in the world won't hold you when you fall. Then it says this, got a roof over my head. My kids have all been fed. And the woman I love most lies close beside me in my bed. Lord, give me the eyes to see exactly what that's worth. And I'll be the richest man on earth. Let me tell you, you're incredibly rich. Because he who is incredibly rich became poor so that one day you would be incredibly rich. Let me tell you how rich. So rich you would even inherit the riches of eternal life. That, my friend, means this. Not only can you think outside the box, one day you'll live outside the box. Jesus is the only one that makes relationships last. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together. Lord, during the hymn of invitation, there's someone that's never trusted you as Savior. Give them the faith to believe today, not in a religion or trying to be good, but give them the faith to believe that you love them enough to come and live a life that they could never live and conquer death because you wanted them and your forever family. All you ever wanted was a family. Give them the faith to believe today that you wanted them and your family. Others may just need to come and kneel and thank God for the masterpieces in their lives. Help us to be a grateful people.
Lord, we know that grateful people become great people, but ungrateful people become hateful people and destroy everything about them. Lord, help us to be grateful people. We know no one ever regrets coming to your altar. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dr. Lowry.